1: Hello one and all and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm your host, Joe Haddow, and we're thrilled that you can join us again for another episode. On today's show, I'm joined by novelist and screenwriter David Mitchell, writer, not comedian, who's been shortlisted twice. For the Booker Prize, and whose novels include Cloud Atlas, Number Nine Dream, The Bone Clocks, and Slade House, to name just a few. And I'm also joined by the author of the Thursday Next and Last Dragon Slayer series, Jasper Ford. Now, you know, sometimes technology gets the better of you, and gremlins seem to find their way into your computer. That's what happened to us on this recording. Luckily, We got things working, but it was only after about 25 minutes or so that we were able to conduct the interview. Anyway, we still think it was a great chat and we hope you agree. And I hope that you enjoy listening to them as much as I did talking to them. If you did, of course, please do rate and review our podcast if you have a couple of minutes to spare. You can do it on Apple Podcasts if you like. Or you can just uh, send us a message on social media, tweet us or Instagram us at OdooBookOff if you're that way inclined. We love to hear from you and we love to share the word of BookOff. Right, that's enough Waffle. On with the podcast. 30, 36 minutes, I think, is roughly the, the time that it's taken to pull all the technology together and bring... Jasper Ford, David Mitchell and myself together in virtuality. Um, But it's going to be worth it. David Mitchell, Jasper Ford, hello and welcome to Book Off. Hello, Uh, hello. thank you. And we're here to talk about two brilliant novels, your latest novels, which I absolutely loved. Um, I have devoured the books and am really keen to talk to you about both of them. We also, of course, have the little matter of the Book Off a bit later on where each of you is going to get three minutes on the clock to pitch us a book you absolutely love and you think that everyone should read and i must say david jasper has been asking all sorts of questions about you know the book off he's he's come pretty re- prepared for battle i would say how, how are you feeling about it
0: uh i'm going to um i'm going to trust in the power of improvisation uh <laughs> Am I that well prepared? <laughs> no, if I'm honest. But uh, but I reread the book uh, before the call this morning because it's not a long book and it's absolutely wonderful. And I might actually be a little bit sneaky. And uh, I mean, this is obviously revealing my tactics before the big match. So it might be a misdirection. But uh, it, uh, I might actually do a reading from the book itself because I think it speaks uh, for and of itself more eloquently than I could. So watch wow. out, Jasper.
1: Wow. Fighting talk.
2: You did actually say, David, the book was absolutely beautiful. So could we take that two seconds off your three minutes, just to be fair? Because you have actually started early. Nice yeah, try, yeah.
0: sir. Nice try. But, uh...
1: <laughs> I've got a little pad here and I'm docking all the all the time. Um, but before we get there, uh, let's play nice for a few minutes um, and talk about Utopia Avenue and The Constant Rabbit, uh, both of your latest novels. Um, David, I know how much you love Music And you and I have spent many an hour talking about music and even choosing some music for the radio. So you can imagine how thrilled I was to receive Utopia Avenue. And I just wondered, um, what made you want to write this book? And why did you choose the 60s music scene?
0: In a sense, half of the answer is in your question. Uh, music. Uh, what is it? What's this what is this astonishing thing that we spend our lives in and with and listening to and thinking about and talking about and just loving uh of course i'm not at all unique uh most of us have a lifelong relationship with music it's perhaps the first art form we're ever exposed to probably in utero in our mother's wombs uh and who knows when uh, well uh, without getting too morbid but it might it may well be the last uh, art form we spend time with as well. Uh, we have an evolving relationship with it through life from the moment we're stomping along to the wheels on the bus go round and round when we're teenagers and music is a kind of a guide and a mentor and a kind of tribal identifier. Uh, we get a little bit older and it's a, it's a mood enhancer. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a strange sort of a drug it can lift you up or calm you down uh then you get even older uh and it becomes a sort of a time capsule and you can put on a song that you first heard way more than half your lifetime ago uh most of your lifetime ago and and, and it'll take you back through time and space like a kind of a sonic tardis and you're back to the very first morning when you first heard that song and you can see the room and taste the air so what a mysterious thing and what a worthy thing to write about i thought not easy but i gave it my best shot and as regards the second part of your question why the late 60s uh just because the music from that time is well, was revolutionary and remarkable and evergreen and it's uh uh passed the test of time with flying colors in many respects in many cases so that is my nutshell answer
1: <laughs> um t- tell us uh the the book has, has just come out so uh many people listening might not have got to it yet just just give us a little pracy of of the story uh of the characters in this book and of of the band that are utopia avenue um it is uh rock novel,
0: um and in a sense there's only one plot. Uh the ascent up Stardom's wobbly ladder. Of course the trick is to find variations and loopholes and, and and uh ways to invert cliches and uh give it a freshness. So it's not like it, it follows roughly that trajectory but um but, but but in hopefully in unexpected and surprising ways. Uh the band themselves, um I'll start with Elf because I wanted some female energy in the band. She plays uh keyboard. She's from a folk background. And um, if anyone sees any similarities between her and Sandy Denny f- of Fairport Convention, then, then they do not need to go to Specsavers. Um, <laughs> we've got Dean. Uh, Dean's from the other end of the social scale. He's a working class rhythm & blues, pub rock kind of East End boy Uh, he's a bit like David Bowie he's from the suburbs and he needs for the band to work because he just can't go back he can't live the life that is uh, socio class predestined to living. Um, we've got Griff who's from Yorkshire. Uh, he's the drummer, uh, from a jazz background, a little bit like ginger Baker, maybe mm. from cream and, uh, Jasper, Jasper de Zoot is the, well, he's, um, Anglo Dutch illegitimate in an age where that mattered much more, uh, vaguely blue blooded, uh, Barrity in terms of his, um, his grasp on reality. Um, and that's the band. Uh, they're hand-curated by a Canadian manager. This is one of the ways I tried to um, um, implode the cliché of people meeting at school and forming a band there. Mm-hmm. They've be, uh, been hand-assembled by a manager who sort of sees them as his art form. He sees the band as his art form. And uh, yeah, uh, the book's about, uh, it takes place over two and a half years. Uh, they record three albums. Each of the sections of the book is an is an album. Each of the chapters of the novel is a song that uh, the point of view character writes during the process of it. It's about a song per month and it starts when they're formed and when they're playing drafty provincial dance halls and getting bottles thrown at them through the... <laughs> first record deal, the first time they hear themselves on the radio, first glimmers, well, the first glimmers of chart success. They go on top of the pops. Uh, They go to Amsterdam. They play in Italy. um, And eventually in the final third of the book, the promised land of the States, they've all got their own journeys to go on, um, both individually and collectively as a band. Um, They're not the same people towards the end as they were at the beginning. And of course, the other thing you need with a rock novel is a reason why you haven't heard of them now. What happened mm. to them? So that when we discuss the kinks and the who and, uh, and the Beatles and the Stones, we don't also talk about Utopia Avenue. No spoilers. Uh, now, I'd love to hear about Jasper's book because um, he's one of my favourite writers and I haven't read the new one.
1: You haven't read the new one yet. Aha. Right. Well, we're going to hear all about it. Um, you ever been in a band, Jasper? Um,
2: no, nothing to speak of. I mean, I wish, um, I, wish I, was, I was it's very interesting listening to, to, to what David was saying, there, especially about how, you know, music in, infuses you know, into us. Um, and I was just thinking of elevator music and how weird that is. But also for me, I, I have songs that I like listening to, but I have songs I can't listen to um, because of the, um, the sort of um, their associations. And and I think that's another interesting. I mean, good songs, really good songs that I can't listen to uh, because they just they dredge up bad memories. So I mean, it's it's a very interesting um, what you were saying.
1: Associations of a of a time or a a person or or all of those uh, things. A,
2: a time, a person, a place. Yeah, all of those mm. things. Yeah. I mean, I have I have I have songs that I just I can't have on my iTunes because then know I might accidentally listen to them? It's like no no, I don't want to listen to that. And I don't know why, because some of it because some of it is like really, really good, you know, and I and I hear it maybe in a shopping mall and I don't mind it. But for some reason, and I think it was about growing up and being at, you know, boarding school and everyone is being queen. And I, doing that, and I was kind of on the outside and I was saying some stupid things and stuff and it. And it just sort of it it somehow doesn't work for me anymore um and and i suppose as i, I it's weird isn't it you know but that you just have this kind of i don't just don't want to listen to it
0: it is weird and interesting how how bundles of sound waves in the air can can mm. not only provoke endocrinological reactions while we're listening to it kind of the hairs go up on our forearms or, or or we shiver but even the memory of those bundles of sound waves in the air can have the same effect years later uh, um, I'll match your queen with my uh, careless whispers by George Michael (laughs) just can't go there I mean it's 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 for entirely traceable um, early romantic encounter uh, reasons but no can't listen to it just can't listen to it yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: interesting David Bowie goes into the same category for me I have trouble with David Bowie because it, it reminds me of being uncool at school. I think that's really trying to put my finger on it. Being hopelessly not just like uncool but hopelessly uncool at school. And you know St- Starman is like one of the greatest tracks ever apart from the first like eight seconds which I have a problem with. But, uh, and I've only recently actually got it back on my uh, iTunes. So I'm you know there's a cure almost there. By the time I'm 70 I, I should be able to listen to you know um, all of his work. <laughs> mm.
0: <laughs> well this is a bit of an Alan Partridge <laughs> bomb uh in the in Joe's interview here. Um I mean, I must um give you a beer sometime and probe exactly what happened at boarding school, but uh, some, uh,
2: <laughs> You don't wanna go there. <laughs> Please mm. no.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Um I was a mm. bog standard <laughs> comprehensive school kid and uh and and as the years have gone by, um uh I've slowly started to appreciate the the advantages of that perhaps. But um
1: yeah. uh, well. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but as well as remembering where we heard albums and, and specific songs, of course, with with times in our lives, I am gonna remember reading The Constant Rabbit, Jasper, because of the time that the book fell into my lap, um that being sort of in the middle of lockdown uh it's stuck stuck for want of a better word in my flat or choosing to stay in my flat as much as possible um and readers of your previous novels will know that you you love to build worlds that are almost like the ones that we live in but but not quite um and in this book there is a very significant difference um so could you tell us a little bit about the constant rabbit um yeah
2: certainly uh this the 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 conceit of this book is that um about sort of 55 years ago 65 years ago around about sort of time um, 18 rabbits were spontaneously anthropomorphized and into walking talking creatures which were looked like rabbits but also looked like humans so there was this sort of anthropological mix and they brought to this strange hybrid part of being a rabbit but part of being a human which is which is a good sort of source of um sort of satire and and a lot of fun and silly jokes and everything like that (laughs) but the point was that um in in 1965 or whenever it was, uh, it was wow! This is amazing! This is incredible! Let's interview these rabbits. We'll celebrate this, you know, amazing event that's happened. But as time goes on and their numbers have grown, that that affection has given way to suspicion um, and uh, hatred, and now there are 1.2 million. Rabbits and the the government, which seems to have based its entire reason of being on anti-rabbit sort of um, uh, sentiment, want to rehome all the rabbits in a mega warren in Wales, and that's kind of what the book is
1: about. That sounds great. I think you're going to love it, David. I think you're going to absolutely <laughs> love it when you get to it. I, I I know it's 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 satire, and I was laughing away whilst reading it. You know, I was really enjoying it. And yet I had this strange underlying sense of sort of sadness, too, because of the way that (laughs) some of the ludicrous things in the book are actually reflecting what is happening in our world today have you have you heard similar things from other readers
2: uh yeah i mean this is i get i get this um you know a a lot obviously um in varying degrees i mean some people say "Ooh, i i was laughing and then i was going should i be laughing which is like a really good position to be in i think especially if you're reading if you're reading sort of allegorical satire because rabbits are like the perfect perfect way to talk about a demonized other Without actually talking about a specific human demonised other, so <laughs> you can bring all the um, you know attributes uh, from from rabbits very very easily and snugly and chillingly so into into this sort of discussion if you like. So um, the biggest the biggest fear for Ucarp, which is the United Kingdom. Kingdom anti-rabbit party um, is, of course, that they're going to breed um, and will be outnumbered in, in our own nation, uh, you know, by, you know, four to one in under five years, because rabbits breed, right? I mean, we all know that. And they burrow. So clearly, they're going to undermine um, the property market. And and it just goes on and on and on. Um, <coughs> and my, my, my character, uh, Peter Knox, um, is someone who does not consider himself leporophobic um, in any way. Um but works for the rabbit compliance task force which is is not that friendly to rabbits and it's really sort of his journey as he come to comes to term with the fact that he isn't the person he thought he was. he thought he was a good person and he's kind of not really, and that what his nation and his workforce and his com- and his country his government is up to is clearly anything anything but good but it's but it's also told in a and this is where the you know where where I found it very difficult to sometimes to because there's a lot of very silly jokes in it. There's a it's almost like slapstick one moment and then a little bit the next. Um, and it's a kind of strange mix of tragic tragic comedy. And I and I was trying to equate this to someone. I said, look, what what can you think of a popular marker, you know, like a a standard candle that that would that does this? And and they went, well, what about Mash, you know, on the telly? And I went, oh yeah yeah yeah, that works really well because it's like really silly. Jokes and it's very funny, and then bang, you're in the theatre and people are dying on, on the on the uh, on the on the tables, and and all of a sudden the tone changes dramatically, and then it ch- changes changes back dramatically as well. And I think humans, you know, are very funny, very very funny, and immensely cruel, and sometimes there's this rather strange little overlap where they're kind of both at the same time, or they flip between one and the two. Um, and all that you've sort of fed into the book in a weird kind of way.
1: Yeah. And you have these brilliant footnotes throughout as well. Um, yeah. For, for little terminology and thing. In fact, I, w- I just wanted to pick a few of these. I mean, okay. there are loads, and, and, and it brings out, again, the humour, Jasper. But um, perhaps I could just mention a couple and you could give us an explanation. Is yeah, that all sure. right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, w- what's a John Flopsy?
2: Oh, a flopsy is is a name given to an unidentified rabbit. Uh, Rabbits, as you might know, um, generally look the same. You know, like field rabbits, you wouldn't be able to tell one from the other. There are are three types of rabbits actually that were anthropomorphized. So there's there's pet stock, um, livestock, and wild stock, Um, and and the and the, the the uh the wild stock you 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 can't see see apart so they call them flopsies you know obviously from the flopsy bunnies and that became the name it's like john doe and the john flopsy is in fact a, a rabbit you can't um, tell uh, you know who they are and if you can't tell who who they are they're probably up to no good because everybody thinks that rabbits are, uh, are up to no good uh, and then it became just a sort of slang for um, any sort of rabbit who would who was going to drift into criminality or any rabbit who was clearly going to drift into criminality so it was known as a flopsy
1: what about a miffy
2: uh, a Miffy, uh, yeah, a, a Miffy is, uh, <laughs> I quite like, so <laughs> you sort of go through lists of um, lists of rabbits. So Miffy is a character from Alex to Brunhoff, is it? A children's book and there was little Miffy was this wonderful little rabbit. Um, and, and a Miffy is a potential um, a, a rabbit who is not who they say they are. So you could, uh, and this is this is what um, this is what uh, my character Peter Knox does. He can actually tell rabbits apart, and that's what he does all day: is <laughs> check on uh, whether rabbits are who they say they are.
1: And this is not an equivalent. But having read both books simultaneously here, the the, the sort of um, David Mitchell style footnotes of Utopia Avenue, David, are are dropping in little song references and lyrics, and also. Um, characters and it's so it's it's great as a music fan to be reading utopia avenue and then going oh yeah i know that song oh i know that song as well you know uh, little things that appear on the jukebox or the radio or whatever um but we also meet sandy denny who you've already mentioned we meet david bowie mark boland like how how did you come to put these real life people in the book and then how did you determine writing them as characters
0: Well oh, firstly it would have been strange if i hadn't put them in uh the scene in and around soho central london was relatively small uh they did go to each other's parties they did run into each other in recording studios and behind the scenes uh, Top of the Pops in the Lime Grove studio. Uh, they did sleep with each other or have drug dealers in common mm. or just have friends in common. Uh, they drank at the same bars, um, knew the same people. So um, in a sense, it would have been odd if 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 there weren't people who subsequently became uh, well-known by our time, at least, in the book. Um, as regards what to do with them. Um, I wrote a kind of a... Well, I think Jasper might uh, know this as well, but when you approach something of an off-the-wall book, you need a constitution, you need a sort of set of rules that you need to write for yourself to stick to, to give the thing consistency. And with um, with the cameos, it was a case of... If if they're merely there, if they do nothing, then it becomes celebrity bird spotting. If they are really substantial, if they become major characters, then you start to trespass into alternate history, and you're writing um, important things that happened in real people's lives. It didn't actually happen, and I wasn't comfortable with that either. So you Mm -hmm. aim, or at least I aimed at a kind of a, a Goldilocks just right sweet spot where they're substantial enough to alter the trajectory of a scene. They say something or do something or are something that changes the scene, but that isn't so weighty or so overbearing that it uh, ends up altering, altering the trajectory of the novels. So, Mm. uh, that was how I handled them.
1: And am I right in thinking, I'm pretty sure I read this recently that, um, this is your mum and dad's favorite book of yours. Uh yeah actually yes. <laughs> I mean um <laughs> Is it cuz it's sort of their era or something?
0: Um I I just um I think they felt it was relatively accessible. Um and relatively self-contained and I guess it is their era as well or at mm. least closer to their era. <laughs> um but yeah, uh that was uh, yeah um that was a nice thing it's um you you i guess n- never grow out of hoping that you'll get the approval of your parents but uh but i had the um warmest feedback from them about this book out of all of the books i've done
1: oh well that's lovely isn't it that's nice we always want feedback from our parents i think and and we pretty much always want it to be good (laughs) whether they believe it or not um we're going to do the book off very shortly we're going to find out what novels or or otherwise you have brought um to pitch i just want to go back jasper and talk about the constant rabbit uh, a little bit more because i was i was doing that classic thing of of being an interviewer and going well is this a, a brexit book is it is it about racism is it about the UK or is it about the world? And I had all these sort of questions, and then I thought, well, why don't I just ask the author? Uh, so, did you have a specific? Um, were you were you trying to challenge a specific thing with this book, or is it is it a bit bigger than that? A bit of a, a wider theme.
2: Um, I, I think it's a I think it's a, a wider theme. I mean, it, the, it, it it covers all sorts of ideas. I mean, it, it, there's a lot about you know. Um, Uh, husbandry of the planet I mean it even gets onto its responsibility and biodiversity there's almost there's also tracks about um, whether we as I mean so, uh, so objectively whether we have any more right to life than say a lichen you know, humans and alike, and which do we have a more? Uh, a right. So it it covers an awful, an awful lot. But I think it was I started writing it. You know, in the, really in the run up to Brexit, and there was this sense of realization because I, I I'm I was born in 1961, which was still very much at the sort of that post war uh british triumphalism you know this kind of mix between loss of empire and then but we won the war and we're amazing and we're worth you know seven frenchmen and eight spaniards and all the rest of it and you get you get kind of brought up with that and it's very difficult not to be carried carried along with this sense that you are somehow superior to to other humans on the planet and that was kind of always slightly worrying but i think in the run-up to brexit it just made it really become crystal clear um that that britain wasn't the place that i thought it was and being british wasn't actually what i thought it was either so a lot of it is actually it's kind of a um there's a sort of semi voyage of discovery it's not just about brexit but it asks an awful lot of questions which really come on after that ab- about you know what what are these things about um what are politicians up to how people actually um uh, you know uh, really look on other people who are not like themselves you know otherism and I and I thought this is a great way to talk about it you know just through this medium of rabbits
1: yes it, well it is and it I have to say it's funny that having read the book it was you know the day after or a couple of days after where I, I was still thinking about it and where some questions came into my head and it made me think gosh what can I what can I do you know what what like it made me think about britishness and about what i do towards the greater good and the cause and so i th- i do think it sort of after the laughter and after the the jokes and everything it does it does sort of make the reader think which i suppose was was part of the plan
2: i th- i think so i mean it is you know it's what do you do now you know, this is the sense because, yeah. you know, from where I'm standing as sort of, you know, white and male and, and British and, and, you know, middle class and all the rest of it. Um, it's not enough to just know about the problem. You know, you have to go beyond that. And that's, you know, one of the multiple puns on the title is the constant rabbit. And I think there's there's an awful lot of uh, people who, who because they, because they think they understand their problem. They are doing something about the problem. And and the, the ending is slightly open ended in that Peter Knox, and I don't want to give too much away obviously, in that Peter Knox understands that his journey is not over. That he understands the problem. He understands that he's not not a nice as nice a guy as he thought he was, mm-hmm. and he can see the issues, but he doesn't know where to go next. And he's gotta take cues from someone else, someone outside, someone smarter, someone who knows what's going on. So it's it's uh, it's a difficult one because you it's very easy to posit uh, um, problems with no solutions you know that I i really don't like that but if there isn't a solution that you can see easily you know how do we deal with this it's a massive problem um, is to say well knowing about it yes but then you, you have to be open to going forward and actually changing the way you think about things um, to, do, to deal with it um, so it's yeah I mean, that's really what I think I was yeah. uh,
1: trying
0: to do. Yeah. yeah. May I ask Jasper a question, Joe? Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the, um, uh, the title. Uh, is it a laconic nod to John le Carré's The Constant Gardener? Because from the way you've been dis- um, discussing the book, it also seems that two of its themes are, are, are le Carré's perhaps quintessential themes, which are power and England. Mm.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, if it makes if it makes me sound smarter, then I say yes, completely. <laughs> um, but I I can't say I can't say that it it did. Although it might have, might, there is always, as you know, you know, when writing, there is always this sort of osmotic effect of other of other authors that you you borrow from without actually uh, realizing. Um, it, it it isn't. Re- I don't think so. I'm so, I'm sorry to say that I can't claim that um, in all honesty. Uh, but but I think it is that the 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 female rabbit in in it is called um, Constance known as Connie um, and she does seem quite Constance in her love and there is also the question of the the constant rabbit itself the endless chitter chatter that uh, we get up to without any meaningful change.
0: I'm sometimes Mm -hmm. asked those questions a bit like the one I just asked where the Honest answer mm. is no, not really. But there's a but, which is just because uh, just because I didn't intend to put it in. That doesn't mean what you just said isn't true. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe yeah. I stumbled upon yeah. one of those.
2: Hey, folks! I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought
1: to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues It's time for the book off now. And this is, as I said, where you each get three minutes to pitch us, the listeners, a a book that you love. It can be anything. It can be a classic. It can be fiction, nonfiction. It can be poetry. Just something you love and you think we should all read. So very quickly, we're just going to ask what each of you have brought to the table. David, what is your chosen book?
0: My chosen book, Joe, is Grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter.
1: Fantastic. And unbelievably, I, I don't just know this off the top of my head, I looked it up and realised it was five years ago that that was published now, which seems bonkers. Um, and Jasper, what are you putting into the book? Off?
2: Well, my, my book is a bit of a left field choice here, but it is called uh, Deep Breath, How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive, a manual of step-by-step procedures for the complete idiot by john muir published in 1969 <laughs> oh jasper i'm quivering already that's, uh.
0: such a, <laughs> that, that's such a that's such a decloaking klingon b- battle cruiser just appears from nowhere to the starboard mm. gotcha. uh it's mm. photon <laughs> torpedoes primed and ready just to shoot me out of the sky
1: well we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see um, First, we've got to decide who goes first and who goes second. So, um, Jasper, I'll let you choose, first or second.
2: Oh, uh, shall I go go first? Yeah, shall I go first? I don't mind. You go first. Yeah, you go first. I'm
1: easy. Okay, okay. And, uh, David, that means you get to decide whether at your three-minute mark you'd like to be (coughs) rung out by the school bell or given a good old honk by the bicycle horn.
0: Oh, it has to be the bicycle horn.
1: It has to be, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it has to be. Uh, Jasper, that means that the bell is going to ring out at three minutes if you'll go oh over your time, OK? okay. So I've That's put the three right. minutes on the clock, um, and it's over to you to tell us about John Muir's How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive.
2: Uh, the choice of my book is not an obvious one. It is a mechanical handbook that will teach you to do things you will probably never need to do on a car you will probably never own. But I'm not promoting this as a handbook for car repairs, but for what it represents to me and what I feel it represents to something that our ever advancing society have recently lost. As we move into a world of bewildering electronic and mechanical complexity, this book harkbacks to a time where, with a little help, our devices could be understood, dismantled, repaired and put back into service. The philosophy of mechanical self-empowering coupled with reuse, a concept that has renewed freshness today. But the book is as much a philosophical tract as it is a manual and can be read as such, even if you may never own a beetle nor need to repair one. The ideas in the book could extend to any mechanical device in your life that needs to be kept alive or even as an approach to life itself. This is from the introduction. While the level of, levels of logic of the human entity are many and varied, your car operates on one simple level and it's up to you to understand its trip. Talk to the car, then shut up and listen. The type of life your car contains differs from yours by timescale, logic level and conceptual anomalies, but it is life nonetheless. Its karma depends on your desire to make and keep it alive. Now, if I had longer, I could unpack that sentence fully, but it, like the rest of the book, contains counterculture nuggets, though, while sometimes anachronistic and weird, are often extremely relevant, which sometimes gives me the feeling that the VW Beetle is not the subject of the book, but only there to illustrate a broader point, that your ability to do anything is possible so long as the problem is approached in the correct fashion. The first chapter outlines how a large task can be broken down into small procedures that, if followed correctly, transfers skill and knowledge already gained by Muir the long way to you, the complete idiot. Doing so will allow you to tackle any large and seemingly insuperable problem without fear, itself a sound life lesson. The rest of the book follows a similar vein, but Pepper's explanations of the ignition system and suspension with odd philosophical thoughts, musings and asides, which all serve to draw a novice into the mechanical process rather than to be shunned by its complexity. It's a quintessential how to, will do, can do book that turns mechanical illiteracy into useful transferable knowledge and increased confidence with warmth and understanding. I don't come from a writing background at all. And until I was 27, the idea of being an author had not crossed my mind. My mindset and the way I approach writing was built not on deconstructing Middlemarch, but by deconstructing Volkswagens, how this particular person misspent their youth. But it was that love of finding out how things work, the simple beauty of inspired engineering and the way those skills can be used for different projects, entirely unrelated, is what makes this book sing. A knotty narrative issue, tangled sentence or a subplot of annoying complexity often requires an engineering solution of simple... Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh I was one line from the oh, end <laughs> and oh, For whom no. the bell tolls Oh
1: no <laughs> Oh dear isn't it awful i'm i'm I feel so bad doing it so yeah you should, i think sir. so I, you should
2: so you should I, I think it was also the the length of the title the length of the title that had me stuffed because i think you were timing <laughs> it and then you said you introduced my book and my name and if i'd had a short name and a short title i could have fitted it all in but, <laughs> but, but you did well, a there, fantastic
0: you job there jasper it was, really a, it was great. an yes, amazing thank rundown uh, i am quaking in my boots because uh <laughs> the preparation you put into that i do not stand a chance uh, unless i <laughs> my one secret method that i haven't yet disclosed but um that was amazing ah. it sounds great it's so it has mm. a zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance kind of vibe. Yes.
2: I yes yeah that is exactly it and it's it's approaching and what i like about that counterculture stuff of the 60s was that it was approaching things from an entirely separate direction and whereas we have the the traditional haynes manuals which are very very sort of you know dry and do this do that this this approach is all meca- you know the mechanical mechanical complexity with a kind of joy this kind of simple joy you know you know this is how it works this simple elegant beautiful solutions and and you can understand them and you can take it apart and you can put it back together again
1: um yeah it was a brilliant brilliant pitch i have to say (laughs) um and you can you can breathe a little bit now jasper you can rest while we put Another three minutes on the clock as uh, David steps up. So here we go. Three minutes, David, to tell us about Grief is a Thing with Feathers.
0: It's a remarkable book. There are only three characters in it Crow, the Dad, and the Boys. Uh, The Mother has died in the house, and it's this beautiful polyphonic, although only three voices fable about what happens next uh, the dad is a Ted Crow, uh, is, is a Ted Hughes scholar uh, so Crow as you may or may not know was a, uh, was a big Hughes motif. My only chance to begin to match Jasper is actually to cheat and give you a reading from it everything I love about the book is in the following so mm-hmm. here we go I better speed up Once upon a time, there was a demon who fed on grief. The delicious aroma of raw shock and unexpected loss came wafting from the doors and windows of a widow's sad home. Therefore, the demon set about finding his way in. One evening, the babes were freshly washed and the husband was telling them tales when there was a knock on the door. Rat-a-tat-tat. Open up, open up, it's me from 56. It's uh, Keith, Keith Coleridge. I need to borrow some milk but the sensible father knew there was no number 56 on the quiet little street, so he did not open the door. The next night, the demon tried again. (coughs) Rat-a-tat-tat. Open up, open up. I'm from Parenthesis Press. It's Paul, Paul Graves. I heard the news. I'm truly gutted it's taken me this long to come over. I bought a pizza and some toys for the boys. But the attentive father knew there had been a Pete from, parenthesis, and a Phil from, parenthesis, but never a Paul from, parenthesis, so he did not open the door. The next night, the demon ran at the door, flashing blue and crackling, rat-a-tat-tat, bang-bang, open up, police, we know you're in there, this is an emergency, you have five seconds to open the door or we will smash our way in. But the worldly grieving man knew a bit about the law and sensed a lie. The demon went away and wondered what to do next. He was tabloid despicable, and so a powerful plan came to him. Rat-a-tat-tat. Knock, knock, knock. Boys, it's me. It's Mum. Darling, are you there? Boys, open the door. I'm back. Sweetheart, boys, let me in. And the babes flew their duvets back in abandon, swung their little legs over the edge of the bed and scampered down the stairs. The chambers of their baffled baby hearts filled with yearning and they tingled and they bounded down towards before, before all of this. The father, drunk on the voice of his beloved, raced down after them. The sound of her voice was singing like a moon-dragged starvation surging into every hopeless, raw, vacant paw, undoing, exquisite undoing. We are coming, mum. Their friend and houseguest, who was a crow, stopped them at the door. My loves, he said. My dear sorry loves, it isn't her. Go back to bed and let me deal with this. It isn't her. Crow went out, smiled, sniffed the air, nodded good evening and back kicked the door shut behind him. Then Crow demonstrated to the demon what happens when a crow repels an intruder to the nest if there are babies in that nest. I could go on it's brilliant um mm. it's uh, that isn't just the best bit it's all that good and if <laughs>
1: hey. oh and there's the three cut down again in in your prime i i i apologize and it's it's so <laughs> it's so awkward sat here knowing the time has hit and going no I'm gonna have to cut them off um wow another another fantastic pitch i think from david um it yeah, was a that, bit of a swiz
0: because I took the pitch from the book. Max's um, words. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but if Brexit and Trump and everything and everything just, just, and Netflix somehow cut your connection with reading. And if you've think, and, and, and if you feel you've lost something, uh, if you feel something's been stolen from you by the last two, three, four years, then this is the book to bring it back because it did with me.
1: Well, that's, that is a wonderful statement, I think. And, I have read it um a, a while ago now, but I, I agree, David. It's a it's a wonderful book um using just those three characters and, and you know, the loss the the loss of a mother told in such a way. Um that it really does, it really gets you. Um, and uh, uh, Jasper, it may surprise you to hear that I haven't actually read John Muir's uh, manual. Um, oh, that's, that's <laughs> but... <laughs> strange. That's really yeah. How how weird?
0: Call yourself a literary show <laughs>
1: <laughs> And yet, you know, hearing you talk about it um, and how and how it inspired your writing as well, I think it's just is amazing. And um, I loved that you referenced, you know, our new technology and how no one knows what to do with it anymore you know i mean i'm i'm the worst for it in the you know if the if a f- my phone was to break or my laptop you know i wouldn't get under the bonnet for want of another uh, another phrase i would just you know just buy a new one or go or get someone else to fix it and i think that there, we have lost something there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of technology, we actually can't. I mean, it's not possible, you know, to, to mend your own mobile phone, although, you know, you can try. But it's it's harking back perhaps to a, a sense that, that maybe there's something lost. And if we understand that, maybe we can, you know, get, do something about it. Yeah. And And... You know, really, sort of like putting up your hands and saying, "This is technology. I can't understand it." You know, <laughs> uh, and maybe you should sort of say, "Well, maybe I should understand." it. Yeah, that, yeah, you know.
1: exactly. Well, I have to, as is, as is the, uh, <laughs> the, the 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 way this podcast is structured. I have to take one of these books home. I have to pick one, um, and I loved both of them, and they're so different. You know, it's it's impossible to sort of pitch one against the other, really. Um, I've read the Max Porter. And I agree with you, David, in a, in a time that we're sort of box set binging and then in between looking at the news and despairing, um, what a book to get people back into reading if you've, if you've slightly dropped off in lockdown. Um, and then just the bonkersness of uh, the John Muir as a pitch. Um, it has won me over, Jasper, so I'm going to take it home. I'm going to take the manual home. Oh, thank
0: you, thank you. Um, I think the work Jasper put in on his pitch alone... Uh, <laughs> uh, um, underlines and uh, and and uh, makes my mind up that uh, Joe's made the right choice.
1: <laughs> Although I loved your reading,
2: mm. you know, I, do, I, I there wasn't time to mention the illustrations. Um, but if you're if you're at all a, a fan of counter counter cult, counter culture illustrations in the in the way of like you know robert crumb um it it is full of these beautiful beautiful illustrations which tells you how to do things with Volkswagens, Um, and there's a a wonderful one of somebody having a a nightmare with an exploded view of an engine while his partner is asleep next to him and this is all he's thinking about wide awake it's lovely it's just there it's just a full page (laughs) illustration but it's great
1: Well, those are two books that you might want to pick up, uh, order or find in your library. Uh, Grief is a Thing with Feathers by Max Porter and How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive, a manual of step-by-step procedures for idiots by John Muir. And two other books that you should definitely pick up if you haven't already are The Constant Rabbit by Jasper Ford. It's out now. It's published by Hodder and Stoughton. And Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell. It's also out now and it's published by... Scepter, it's been so lovely having you both here, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your pictures and uh, yeah, hopefully the next time that we're all together, it might be over a pint in person. Oh, hope mm. so, Joe. And yeah, uh, thanks yeah. very
0: much for having us on your show. And uh, uh, nice speaking with you too, Jasper.
1: No, great fun.
2: Thank you, thank you, and I will definitely gonna read that book.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks so much.